says, get that India, big boy. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is Wednesday, the 7th of October, and we're here for another installment of the preview podcast on the tip sheet. Joining me as always is my good friend, 60s. How you doing, champ? Mate, I'm doing very well. There's, I'm not feeling the doom and gloom of a finals loss last week. It is great to be involved in finals football. It's great to have a match coming up at Parramatta Stadium to go and cheer the team on rather mm-hmm. than watching it on television. So, mate, I'm, I'm pumped to have the, our Eels playing at this time of the year. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the result in the weekend was frustrating. We spoke about that at length in the review podcast that we did the following day. But yeah, certainly the pall and the, the fog that was lingering over the weekend has lifted. It's a new week, it's a new game, and yes, Parramatta banged up a little bit, and we'll get to that. But yeah, there is a it's palpable, the excitement, isn't it? We're sort of, it's sudden death footy, but the Eels are going to give themselves a red-hot chance this weekend. That's so. right, mate, and and how good again to have our special guest join us. Exactly, mate. So let's jump into that preview aspect of next week with um, a very special guest returning. Uh, joining TCT for another fantastic chapter of um, reviewing and previewing is none other than former CEO and uh, rugby league superstar in terms of um, experience and analysis, Bernie Gurr. Good morning, Bernie. How you doing, mate? I'm good. Morning, boys. Good morning, Bernie. If I could just kick things off, we just want to briefly touch on last Saturday's game because uh, most of the post-mortems have already been completed. But we've got a couple of aspects we want to get your opinion on. Firstly, a big factor in our opinion was the early injury to uh, Mike Acebo and then the replacement, Andrew, Andrew Davey, comes on and he gets a, a HIA not long after. How much disruption to the edge would have been caused by such an early injury to a winger? Yeah, look, I think there is... Look, it's certainly not to say it's not a disruption because it clearly is, number one. Number two is Andrew. I I would like to bet Andrew hasn't done much playing, <laughs> and particularly uh, yeah. at the Eels, much training. Um, and you guys attend training, I don't, but I mean... I, I don't think you've seen Andrew David running around at left centre a lot of training. No, the odd time would be very, very rare. So, look, it does impact. It does impact the uh, the structures, and and you know, depending on the edge is difficult in and of itself. Even when you've got consistent personnel, so to do it when you have a few injuries and disruptions makes a difference. I don't think it, you know, I, I don't think it made a huge difference to the overall result. I don't think they went to they went to our right side once or twice, but they were predominantly going down the middle and down our right side. But yeah, look it does. It does it, it, it is a disruption, but I wouldn't say it's a major disruption that had, you know, a meaningful impact on the game. Obviously we we've spoken about before and how when you, when you want to win a big contest you've got to win the moments. And um and in finals that sort of uh, accelerated and exacerbated even more so, in your opinion, Bernie, uh, where did Parramatta have their moments that they won? But more importantly, what were the moments that we lost um, in terms of, you know, individually that then flowed onto the mate, the actual result itself? Yeah, look, first and foremost, I thought it was a super game. Like, if you were just a rugby league oh, watching that game, I, when I watched it again on, on, on replay, and uh, 
it was a cracking game of football. If you're a neutral observer and a lover of rugby league, you'd have really enjoyed that game. We we got off, obviously, to a very fast start. That's something that's uh, quite familiar for Parramatta teams over the years. Um, and, you know, our attack early looked, I thought, really good. There was an improved energy. Uh, there was some really good short passing early on uh, with Paulo, Nathan Brown in particular. I liked the fact that Moses a few times played off the back of some of those those passing, those passing rushes. Uh, we, were, we were running aggressively. Um, so, yeah, the, the early part was good. And then so after, you know, I think by the 23rd minute, we were leading 12-0. Um, and even around the 25 to 30-minute mark, I think I saw a stat that had the Storm at the 60% possession. So there was a point there where we led 12-0, where the Storm actually had more possession than we did. So, look, the start was great. Um, we did lose some big moments, though, along the way. And the problem when you play the Storm is that they punish you probably as good as any team in the yeah. competition when you give them a, an ability to play off the back of an error, for example. Um, we let 12-0, I think, after about 20-odd minutes. Dylan Brown put a... I'm not knocking Dylan. I love Dylan. I thought he had a so, really solid game coming back from a serious injury. But he put in a very poor attacking kick that was... Um, relieved all the pressure on Melbourne when we were leading 12-0 going on the attack again and if we could have got a repeat set or jammed them down into a corner but Bernavala got back and they were back on the running and then two minutes later I think uh, Janko lost the ball in a very strong tackle to Bado Carr um, and then in the 30th off the back of a couple of little errors a little bit of momentum that builds pressure uh, in the 30th and 32nd minute they just racked up two two quick tries. Now, there's a bit of poor defence on the second one, particularly uh, we didn't... Our lock-up defence was pretty poor by... Yeah, M- Munster slipped an offload where he should have been wrapped up, and then Kenny Bromwich... Exactly. exactly the same. So, what I'm saying, there was a couple of errors there around the 25, 23, 25-minute mark that gave them a bit of pressure, a bit of possession, a bit of field position, and they, they took advantage of it in the 30, 30th and 32nd minute. Around the 40-minute mark, Reid did a... Um, a poor kick gave them a second ta- seven tackle set. Forty-second um, minute, Mitch missed the tackle. There was a try. Then, by then, now Melbourne were getting more and more. They were getting maintaining good possession, good pressure. Mm. And you know, fifty-second minute, there was a poor attempt at a forty-twenty by Reed. All these little errors add up. They're the big yeah. moments or the lost moments we talk about in games. And a fifty-third minute, Fergo fumbled that ball over the sideline. So. You've got four or five errors there that gave them a bit of a sniff, and that's what you can't do in big games. In the next eight minutes after Fergo bumbled that ball, I got three tries. Yeah, they went they went so back to back a, to you back. You had an accumulation of a number of um, errors, which in and of themselves aren't that bad. But when you accumulate four or five errors over a 10-minute period, it gives teams possession, it gives them field position, they build pressure, they build momentum, and Melbourne don't need, need a second invite in those situations. Um so it was an interesting game. Like between the first twenty minutes, we had you know twelve nil. Between the twentieth and sixty third minute, those forty three minutes, Melbourne scored thirty six points in forty three minutes. It, this was um, a on, on the so, back of your you know, in, in, and in playoff football, that's just not good enough. Um, so it was a look. It was a fascinating game. It was, an, it was a really terrific game to watch. It was obviously a bit nail biting. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I thought we played well in in patches. But to your to your point, there were some lost moments there off the back of errors. I was just going to say, on the back of your comments, where you, you actually um, jotted down the, the actual moments where they've happened in terms of minutes, and like it really puts a, a spotlight on where we made those crucial errors. 
This game was something of a statistical anomaly because Melbourne Storm dominated possession 57 to 43%. They dominated time possession 29 minutes and 46 seconds to our 22-27. But in terms of completion rate and and, and overall sets, Parramatta Eels actually came out ahead. Melbourne only completed 73% of their sets, which was 30 of 41, whereas Parramatta completed 79%, which was 33 of 42. And it just it's one of those bizarre like anomalies where obviously between penalties, set restarts, how many tackles you did to complete a set and whatnot, it it played out vastly different in terms of the actual the important stuff, the possession and time possession. But yeah, it, yeah it did. on, it on did. the we statute, were, we, we had yeah we had less ball, but we used it with, with, in a sense our completions were better. Yeah. Because <laughs> what, what you do with the ball, it's also other factors too. You know, where do you get the ball? Um, what's the state 100%. of the game? A lot of these other factors go into it, but your point's valid. The other interesting stat that was in our favour was that we kicked for 551 metres, they kicked for 331. Now, you might ask, well, what's the kicking metres got to do with it? But over my course of watching football, um, the team that kicks more metres um, usually or has a very, puts itself in a good position to win the game because. Kicking metres usually means you're, you're driving the ball down there, you're trying to pay, play good fundamental field position. So we you know, we kicked for a lot more metres, which was in and, in and of itself a good thing. But it just goes to show that, um, you know, when you have that that gap in, in um, possession, and we talked about this last week, possession is usually the greatest indicator mm-hmm. in, from a statistical point of view and a simplistic point of view as to which teams will win. Um, you know, the hold of... To keep, whilst we let in a lot of points, you know, Melbourne historically has scored more points against us. They beat us 32 nil down there. This time they beat us 36-24. And, you know, they did dominate possession at certain stages, and that's where they won the game. Yeah, Bernie, you uh, in, in talking about those big moments, you're really talking about <laughs> the ones that we lost, the things that we could control, that we didn't control some of the things that we could control. So that then leads me on to, do you, given that Melbourne has been that side that we seem to always fail against when it comes to finals football, they're truly our bogey team in, in finals football, can you see evidence, evidence of us closing the gap with the Storm? Look, I think statistically you can say we have. But we, they beat us 32-0 last year up um, in Melbourne in the playoff game, and now we've got it to 36-24. Um, I think at the moment, when I looked at that game, even when we were 12-0 ahead and watching the run of play and, the, you know, the personality that that game was taking on, Melbourne were not flustered. They made a couple of errors, but even there, you know, they were just pushing a couple of little passes here and there, but... With Smith at the at the wheel, they didn't at any time to me look flustered, and I never at twelve nil I I never felt comfortable. And that wasn't enough on our team. That was probably more of a compliment to Melbourne. I think you know you could say yes, the gap's closing. Melbourne, you know, they're such a they're such a good side. They play with such precision. They probably play with more precision uh, and understanding of the game plan than any other team in the competition. Um, they also have an inner belief, I think, now against us that, the, that they can get our cash. So there's that inner belief that they have. But I, look, I, we didn't lose this game in the middle of the field. I thought our middle forward, Paulo, Campbell, you love thought Lane had a really strong game. Yeah, big Matt bounce back Brown, from Reed, Marty. I thought, I thought we were really strong in the middle of the field. We lost, you know, where it got away from us was 
they didn't need a lot of momentum in the middle of the field to go to the edges very quickly. And they're so they're so well drilled, they're so precise. They're, they slip into their formations and shape so quickly on transition from defense to offense that you know they were really putting a mass pressure on us. Now, of course, you know there's been a lot said and written about our 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 edges, and we play up and in style of defense. Occasionally, we'll hold depending on the situation of the, of the play the ball. But you know we do a lot of up and in. And, you know, clearly on that right side, on, on our right side, which is the opposition left side, um, there's been a lot of pressure on us. We haven't really looked that comfortable all year. And teams, the other thing to remember too, is teams attack more to their left. They go to their left more than their right. Natural Most passing. teams are predominantly right-handed. Most players are predominantly right-handed. There's a natural tendency that the right-to-left pass is easier. They go to their left, which would be our right as a defensive team. And... Um, you know, we haven't looked really comfortable all year. Um, you know, we're athletically very good, but from a, from a schematic point of view, our schemes, they're just not doing, I think, what Brad needs them to do. Um, Jennings, the move of Jennings from the left to the right in-game, I think, was a, a masterstroke by Brad, although that was a really smart thing to do, because Jennings is such a good, he's such an experienced player and a really good defender, but you know, some, you know, I think sometimes there are situations where with the athleticism we have, teams won't run around us. We've got good speed, good athleticism. There may be more occasions where we could go up and hold, get up off your line quickly, hold, challenge them to run around you. And with our athleticism, that's very difficult. But if you if you go all in and go, and go racing in and there's not a, a uniformity of decision-making between your four edge players, and in this case, Moses, Madison, Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson, you get in big trouble very quickly, particularly against precise, skillful teams like the Melbourne Storm. That probably starts to lead us into uh, those team changes. Yeah. Uh, we've, sorry, Cordy. I was going to say, yeah, we um, had the team list obviously announced yesterday, and um, we had one obvious out with Micah being injured for his MCL, and he's done for the season. But um, yeah, there was a, there was at least one surprise, I suppose, when you think about the um, the composition of the bench. But yeah, full list of team changes. So from the one to twenty-one that was announced the week before, we've now had George Jennings come into the starting team. So he'll be taking on Micah's role on the left flank. Blake Ferguson was named, but he's under considerable doubt to take to the field on Saturday. And then with Murata suspended for a crusher tackle, you've had Ray Stone come onto the bench um, in his place. So um, Bernie, how do you see those changes play out? Um, how do you think the Eels will roll out? We will be with Ferguson. Yeah, it'll all depend on Fergo. I think if, if Fergo plays, you, 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 you'll have to play Wonger at right centre and Michael Jennings at left centre with his brother George outside him on the left wing because you, you just don't want to flip Wonger to a left centre role. Um, he's already been struggling as a right centre in reading defence. You wouldn't want to push him to left centre. So I think if, if Fergo plays, Wonger will stay on the right centre with Fergo outside him. If Fergo's out, it changes the whole dynamic then because then you could potentially... Um, you could potentially play on longer at right wing with Michael Jennings inside him, and then you could put the very experienced Brad Takarangi at left centre with George Jennings. That's potentially an option Brad could go with. So I think it all depends on Fergo. Um, Brent, uh, uh, sorry, Bernie. Brent, Brent Reed was recording that on NRL 360 last night as being how that how that would how that's going to play out this week. Right, I, no, I didn't see 360, but that makes sense. Um, you know, clearly losing players like Sevo, 
Morata at this time of year and for such big games is critical. You know, I and I'd rate Morata. He's a huge loss for us. I'm, as you know, I'm a big fan of Morata. I thought he was really strong physically the other night. Unfortunately, he made one bad choice in, that, in the execution of that tackle, so he's getting a suspension. He's a huge out for us because he's such a... When you do the first interchange and you bring him on after Campbell, Gillard and Paulo have done a really good job, which they continue to do and did on Saturday night, um, not having Morata come on as that strong physical presence, he's a really good defender. He works hard on defence. He's also a terrific ball runner with good leg speed, so he's a big, big out. We've got Stone coming onto the bench. That's an interesting one, depending if, if uh, you know, if Virgo plays and that changes, as we just talked about, the left and right combinations of wingers and centres. Um, you know, Tackers would give you more positional flexibility. You had him on the bench, and we had that problem last week. Um, Stone's a great defensive, defensive player. And, of course, the, the, the other one we're not talking about is Oregon Kafusi. So, yeah, there's a few decisions to be made, but it's all, to me, it's all going to be driven by whether Fergo plays or not. I think Dylan Brown will improve a lot on what he, well, yeah, I thought he was good against the Storm. Um, Dylan, my observation there is he's left a bit short sometimes. I'd like to see more decoy runners around Dylan when he gets the ball at second receiver. We could then have options to, you know, pass, run, dummy, show and go. Um, but yeah, look, it was great having Dylan back on the side. Just back to the point of, of closing the gap. Um, the storm is still ahead of us. There's no question about that. So do I think we've improved incrementally from last year versus the storm? Uh, yes, we have. Is it good enough at the, and where we want to get to? No, it's not. We need to get better, particularly the teams that are very, very precise on the edges. Um, South and South are a very dangerous team there, and we'll talk more about them in a minute. But they have that capability too. So yes, we've improved incrementally, but there's a, a lot more work to do. And you just touched on Dylan. Do you, how how much better do you think he'll be with that run under his belt? Oh, you'll be look. That'll give him confidence. He got through the game physically, so now he, from a mental point of view, regarding his physical capabilities, he'll be much more comfortable, much more relaxed. I think uh, you know he has a bit of rust there, particularly around some of his kicking. Uh, I think he'll kick more this week. Um, what I did like about the game, while I think of it, uh, Mitch and Dylan had between them 92 touches of the ball. Um, Hughes and Munster had 99. Now, given the fact that they dominated possession, we had relatively, our halves had more touches than the Melbourne Storm halves. Um, so I like the fact that Mitchell and Dylan were getting their hands on the ball. Uh, I'd like just like to see a few more decoy runners, give them a few more options out on the edges when they're playing second receiver. But, yeah, no, I think Dylan will be much better for the run. And I love the fact that he's a very strong defensive player on that left, on our left edge. Now, obviously, on Saturday night, the um, the matchup's going to be fantastic because you've got two teams in good attacking form with South City probably being the form attacking team in the competition and Parramatta reigniting their attack against the Storm. Where do you see Parramatta holding the advantage against South Sydney in um, between, between positional units, individual players, and just across the park? Yeah, look, South are, South are a very, very good side. They're a very dangerous side. They, they've been an inconsistent side during the year. Um, I think they've got an underrated forward pack. I think a number of their forwards have come on well. I think Totola has come on really well. Bailey Serenin's under very underrated back. Breakout, breakout year for him, yeah. He's a very... Jaden Sewer's got a, he's got a bit of that aggro. He's got a bit of that mongrel in him. He's a very aggressive player. So I think they've got a very, actually a very strong, solid forward pack. And they've got two elite forwards in. Cook's absolutely elite. 
and also Cameron Murray is, is elite. So I think thinking their forwards are going to crumble is not is not not going to happen. Having said that, I think our forward pack last week played really well. All, I'd say all our all our starting forwards had really strong games. I'd like to see us go through them and play them, you know, 15 to 20 metres either side of the play. I don't think we're going to be able to go round south. They're pretty athletic on the edges with Kagai, Campbell, Graham. Um, Sirenen and Sua are reasonably athletic as, as back rowers on the edge. So they're very they're going to be difficult to go around. But I'd just like to see us maintain um, our strong forward play, rip in, be aggressive, run really hard, support. That first 10 minutes the other night, I think, was a bit of a template. Play south 15 to, 15 to 20 metres either side of the play of the ball, run hard, decoy run a few offloads in there. And then off the back of that, if it opens up on the edges, you can take advantage of that. But the most important thing off the back of that is kicking and making sure that we can come up with the ends of our sets are very strong. The key of when you're playing teams like the Storm and South and the Roosters that are ruthless on the edges is... You need to play good field position. You want them getting receiving the ball on the 20-metre line, not on the 40-metre line, where they can very quickly go into shape and get within a set of six more shots at you. Because they can, teams like South, they can tear you apart on the edges. They drop into their shapes, attacking shapes really well. They're very dangerous. They have points in them. They put 60 on the Roosters, 50-plus on Manly, 40-plus on the Knights. You know, they put beat us 38 to nil. So we need to get into a game where we play very good, a very good long kicking game and get, get into a set-for-set set game with them playing good field position. And, of course, you know, it goes without saying, you can't piggyback South down the field. You give them penalties, you give them set starts, they're very, very dangerous because teams like Melbourne and South that are very precise in how they run their edge plays with decoy runners and their, their shape or their formation, give them set starts or penalties and scrums, they are extremely hard to hold off. So, look, the only other thing around that is too, I, I noticed the other night, whilst we defended well in parts of that game, not, not all of it, um, we still need to get off our line quicker. I'd like to see a defensive line quicker with a real focus on getting off our line, make that real effort to reset quickly after a tackle, and then literally get off your line quickly. I noticed teams like Penrith, the Roosters, Melbourne, they're getting off their line very quickly. Now you can make an argument that they're potentially offside. And, they may get the odd offside penalty, but the rest are not going to keep penalising for that. They get off their line very quickly. It puts great pressure on the opposition team. It's interesting that you've said that, Bernie. You must have been reading my mind because what I was uh, going to refer back to was that the loss to South, the 38 nil loss, to me, it was probably our worst performance in terms of defensive line speed. And, and it was there... From even though it it looked a little bit encouraging in the first five minutes of that game, as soon as South had their first possession in our half, it, I I had concerns straight away because I thought our line speed's not there. They're going. I literally turned to the person next to me and said, "They're going to score in this set," and it was all about line speed. And I thought our problem started in the middle of the field in that match and just spread right across. Um, that that line speed really is a, a critical factor this week. Oh, you're 100% right. It's interesting that, you know, we talk about the ed- edges and the medals and everything, but the reality is the foundation stone of a strong defence is your line speed and aggressiveness in the middle of the field because what that does, if you're not doing that, 
other teams are rolling down the field and that opens up the edges. If you suddenly got good line speed, line speed in the middle of the field, your middle forwards are getting up, they're getting, they're hammering the opposition, they're getting into them physically and aggressively. And this is an aggressive game. You've got to be aggressive to win. You've got to win that battle of the collision. If you win the battle of the collision in the middle, very rarely do you see the edges open up. So step one in any good defensive system is to protect your edges. You need to be very strong and aggressive. Get off your line in the middle. Limit their go forward in the middle, which then limits their ability to utilise that go forward by going to their edges. Now, if you let South and Melbourne and the Roosters and the Panthers rumble forward in the middle, they will carve you up on the edges because they're, they're so good at it and they're very athletic and they're very good formations. But that absolutely we need to make sure that we have a very, very strong focus in the middle of the field of getting off our line, getting up quickly and being very aggressive on defence and basically attacking the bully. So, Bernie, what do you see as the as either individually South's greatest threats that are posed to us or, or them as a team? Well, you know, you, you've got the obvious ones of Cook and, and Cody Walker because you've got a threat there in the, right in the middle of the field with Cook. And, you know, every yard you get out of dummy half is a yard you're going over your vantage line. Just typically, obviously, if you're passing backwards, you lose metres with a, with, a, with a view to gaining metres. But when you run successfully out of dummy half, every metre you gain, every metre you run is a metre gain. Um, so Cook, clearly, you know, that's the obvious ones, Cook and Cody Walker. But to the point with Cody Walker, Cody Walker, whilst he's a, he's a brilliantly instinctive footballer, he the other team, South have to be able to drop into their structures and shapes for Cody Walker to take advantage of that. South don't run around like chooks with their heads cut off and just let Cody do what he likes. What Cody wants is the team playing to a, a set structure, and then once they're in that structure, he can then play off the back of that, and that's where he's very dangerous. You'll often see him uh, involved in some of their set pieces because they've got good go forward and he gets involved in their set pieces. Well, that try he scored in both the last two games against both the Roosters and the Knights, where they do that shape, that little shape on the right side where they get a few decoys and he plays, he comes off the hip of Adam Reynolds. Again, that's off the back of good shape, good structure, good discipline. So they're the two obvious ones, but they've got a lot of dangers too. Like, you know, Campbell Graham, Dane Gagai, Corey Allen's playing really well. Of course, Alex Johnson is just a legitimate try scorer. Um, yeah, if we don't blunt their go forward in the middle and therefore minimise the, their capability to go to the edges, we're going to have problems. And that was what happened with a lack of defensive energy and line speed when they beat us 38 nil at Bank West. Um, so, yeah, and, and don't underrate their forwards. They're rumbling, they're rumbling down the field reasonably well. They wouldn't be winning games. So, yeah, look, it's a great matchup. But I think if we can be very, very strong in the middle, be defensively strong, Basically, you know, rip into them, get into them, be aggressive, attack the bully, and then you'll you'll you, you go a long way to then limiting not only their ability to go to the edges, but you're limiting also where Reynolds is kicking from. If he's kicking from his own 35 instead of kicking an attacking kick over the halfway line, that's a huge difference. Oh, his kicking game against the Eels in that 38 to nil win was a huge factor as well within that game. It was almost, he could have almost taken the tape of that and put it into any coaching manual for kickers because I was I was sitting there at the game just mesmerised at the way he was able to find space and open pastures with every kick and seemed it seemed like every kick put the Parramatta Reels under some form of pressure. He, he, his 
his kicking game really has to be blunted, doesn't it? It does, and uh, we spoke last week, and you guys understand, I place a huge importance on the kicking game, your long kicking game, your short kicking game, your attacking kicking game. Kicking has become such an important part of rugby league. I actually don't think teams practice kicking enough. I think they view it as something you just do on the end of sets and we'll just, you know, near enough good enough. That's not that's not the case because when I look at uh, Adam Reynolds, I think when you look at the overall kicking games of every team in the competition, Adam Reynolds is the best kicker. He's the best general play kicker in the game. And he's probably been that way for a number of years. His ability to... For a little bloke, he's got an exceptionally powerful leg to drive them out of trouble. When you get in the attacking zone, he has a unique ability to get the ball between defenders and into the end goal. So, yeah, to your point, Adam Reynolds is elite. His kicking game, he can turn a bad set into a good set just by the fact that he does a good last tackle kick. So he puts enormous pressure on the opposition. And another reason to make sure that we're aggressive in making sure he kicks when he's 35 and not... not an attacking kick from our And just then to that point when you're talking about putting the pressure on and, and the work that we have to do within the in the middle of the field, that that bench selection that's been made by Parramatta as it stands, it is possibly a middle forward short through the loss of uh, Murata this week. And you, you talked about Ray Stone being brought in. Do you think there's a, any chance that they start Andrew Davey and have Sean Lane back on the bench coming in in a middle role just to shore up that? Or do you think it's more likely that our starting middles are going to get more minutes and it, it'll be a three-way middle rotation with uh, Kane Evans? Yeah, I think it'll be. I think I think it'll be more a three-way rotation. But I do think, look. I wouldn't have a problem if they threw Ray Stone in there for 10, 15, 20 minutes during the game as as a middle forward because what you're looking in the middle, you know, Stone, he's got good line speed. He's a deadly hitter. He's, 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 whilst he's not a big guy, his defensive technique is outstanding. Um, so actually, if you're looking for line speed in, on defence, um, you know, Ray, Ray's a guy you want out there because he's such a good defensive player. So I think... So there will be a requirement from Brad for Junior and, and Regan Campbell Gillard, given this is a knockout game, to play big minutes. And you can you can see the noticeable decline in our side when Regan and, and Junior are off at the back end of say the first half. Yeah. Um, because they've been so good for us and they were terrific on Saturday night. Watching that game again just reinforced that. You know, they're just they're just elite, both of them, and they, they really give us a presence on the field. But to your point, I think um, you know, it, Kane, we need Kane to play a really strong game, but I think Dane can come on and help in the middle just because he's such a good defensive player. Yeah, and I think it's really important what you said too there about the role that Kane Evans plays because Kane Evans, when we were firing at the early part of the year, I mean really firing through the middle, we were losing that that difference between when Reg and Junior were on the field and then when we had uh, Kane Evans and Marada coming off the bench, they were doing a great job of keeping that momentum going, keeping that impetus through the middle going. And Kane's had a couple of games where he was a little bit down and he every so often he reminds us just how 
aggressive and important his play can be, he's he's a crucial player off the bench this week. He absolutely is. And then I, I noticed too, when he's running the ball, he's cramping himself way too close to the play the ball. Yep. Um, he needs to step another two or three metres out and uh, that'll give him a, a little more space to operate in, build up a bit of momentum in his running game. He's, he's, he's playing... He's receiving the ball way too close to the play of the ball and he's getting jammed in there he's, and then, he, then he's getting gang tackled and there's no momentum being built off his run. Quite frankly, many times I'd rather see him operating off a first receiver, building up a bit of steam and then just charging into the opposition and just trying to maximise his yardage. He's certainly an awkward bloke to tackle when he's got <laughs> yeah, that momentum going. He needs the momentum and to do that, you've got to get a little wider of the play of the ball and many times I would rather actually see him work off a first receiver. Well, we certainly covered a uh, wide range of aspects of this game. I think we're uh, really ready now for the prediction, Bernie. <laughs> well, I am going to predict the Eels, but it's a danger. Clearly, you know, Souths are a dangerous team in form and they, they have a bit of belief. I'm glad we're back at Bank West, although clearly it doesn't hold too many demons to Souths because they beat us there and it's such a magnificent stadium. You know, I, I know all players like playing there and, if there'll be a reasonable crowd there on Saturday night, so that it'll be a great atmosphere. Um, look, if we can do the things that we do well and play a power game through the middle, support play, short passing, on the back of that good kicking, play long, play the field position game, don't go into our shell when we get down in the red zone. We've, we've done a little bit of that recently, but we're going way too laterally. We're not attacking the opposition defence. There's a there's a reason they call it attack. You're supposed to attack the defence. You can't just wish your way through with thinking lateral passing is going to get it done. You need strong, aggressive running off the back of lateral passing. There are times there where we lateral pass, but I don't see anybody steering in the hole. So I think there's a capability there to be a little more aggressive with our run, with our hole running, particularly in the red zone. But if we can do that, and as I said earlier, on the defensive side of the game, you know, get reset quickly, get off our line and be very aggressive on defence and support it all with a very strong, long kicking game, then I think we can win the game. If we give them 55% of the ball due to errors, poor discipline, penalties or six agains, um, or we hand the ball over to them in good field position on a regular basis, they will punish us. They'll beat us if we do that. So if, they, if we give them 55% of the ball or more in, in those sort of situations, it's going to be difficult. But I think our guys back at Bank West, we're going to be up for this one, and I, I think we can win. Well, as always, Bernie, it's it's been illuminating to get your takes on not just how the Eels performed in their last game, but what we need to be looking for in this game. Can we can we take on the positive perspective and say the Eels get through this, Embrace and the then we're looking at another match coming up next week and invite you back on for another preview? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope we can do that because that'll mean the, uh, the mighty Eels have had a victory. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you, Bernie. An absolute Good pleasure. Job, boys. Bye-bye. Right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Bernie Gurr, thank you very, very much for dropping by the tip sheet. Well, now that the intellectual of rugby league is out of the uh, conversation, we can get back to the two idiots blabbering on as usual, which is what we know the people come here for, clearly. Um, so let's start with the team, uh, the team sheets rather, for Saturday night. South Sydney lineup with Corey Allen at fullback. Alex Johnston and Jackson Paulo will be on the flanks for them. In the centres is young Campbell Graham and Dane Gagai, both of whom should be in origin contention this year. Um, in the halves, you've got the dangerous Cody Walker and the reliable Adam Reynolds. 
Tavita Tatoa and Thomas Burgess are bookending Damian Cook. Jaden Sua, Bailey Sirinan and Cameron Murray are in the back row. On the bench for South Sydney, you have Mark Nichols, Liam Knight, Jed Cartwright and Kioan Kaloa Matangi. Sorry. And their shadow bench consists of Stephen Masters, Hame Sele, Troy Dargan, the one-time eel, and Patrick Mago. For Parramatta Eels, we had mentioned it before with Bernie, but there is a slight reshuffle across the lineup. At fullback and captain is Quinton Gufferson. George Jennings comes onto the left flank, with Blake Ferguson named on the right wing, but we did talk about the, the assumed shuffle that will happen should he not take to the field. Michael Jennings and Wanga Blake are uh, prospectively in the centres at the moment. Um, from there, it's relative regulation on the starting team. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses in the halves. Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Polo alongside Reed Money in the front row. Sean Lane, Ryan Madison and Nathan Brown close out the starting forward pack in the back row. On the bench, you have Will Smith, Andrew Davey, Kane Evans and Ray Stone winning out the final bench spot over Oregon Kafusi. Kafusi is on the shadow bench and he's joined there by Brad Takarangi, Hayes Dunster and Daniel Alvaro. Uh, Gerard Sutton is the main official for this match with David Munro and Todd Smith running the sidelines. Jared Maxwell, who I believe is the NRL's most senior video review official, is in the box. All right, mate, so there's the uh, team was 21 for both teams and the officials. Let's jump into the breakdown. What have you got? First of all, I wanted to touch on something that we talked a bit of, with uh, Bernie about, and that was the last time that the two sides met. So the relevance of that 38-0 match. Now, just from a statistical point of view, that was the Eels' biggest loss to South since 2011. Since then, the results have basically matched the team's form from each season. For example, in uh, in the more recent times, in uh, Parramatta won both matches in 2017, in which in what was a good season for the Eels, we lost both matches to South in 2018 in the diabolical wooden spoon season, and we won the only match in 2019 against South, mm. which was also at Bankwest Stadium. So that 38 that? to nil was, it, it seemed like a bit of an anomaly in terms of the relative positions of the teams and, and the form of the teams. It was our worst loss of the season, not just on the, not just on the scoreboard, but, on but the in the way that itself. the, yeah. yeah, on in how the teams played. So how much of that was, South taking the Eels apart and how much of that was Parramatta just not turning up on the night. I'd, I'd suggest to you that it was a 30-70 split or a, a 40-60 split where South obviously played superbly on the night, but it was diabolical from the Eels in terms of how we performed on that night. It was it was woeful from start to finish. We mentioned to Bernie Gurr and spoke with Bernie Gurr about the fact that there was literally zero line speed that was happening throughout the game. The problem started in the middle and spread right across the team and then the weaknesses on the edge were thoroughly exposed by a South Sydney team that was rampant, that were laughing their heads off. When you, to, I can tell you, being there at the game and being down, I was close to the fence in that. They, they were laughing. They wanted the ball. This was a team that wasn't being battered or bruised in the encounter. They were just, it was, I want the ball next. It was one of those games. So yeah. how, how relevant that is, they'll obviously come into the game with a lot of confidence about their form against Parramatta. So... 
where we're not going to have any advantage when it comes to a confidence factor. It's whether we can make that game have any relevance at all by the attitude that we take into it. Yeah, I think that for Parramatta, they're going to try and bury the, any sort of psychological scars that would have come out of that round 16 clash. And the opposite would be for South Sydney. Like you said, they're going to come into this game confident knowing that they've got our measure based on that last result. But that, that's also can be a bit of a trap mentality for South Sydney because the finals are a different ball game as we've spoken to at length when it comes to footy. And it's not just footy, it's every sport. You know, obviously you want to take into to account prior form and matchups, but when it's sudden death football or it's sudden death, any, any sort of code, um, you don't want to lull yourself into a false sense of security. So for Parramatta, I think they can use that as fuel. And I think that, you know, South Sydney obviously showed a lot of their attacking uh, flair in that game and put a lot of stuff on tape, but just as they did last week in Newcastle against the Newcastle Knights. So it's on tape there for the Parramatta to, to study and defend, but it's it's very different to just looking at it and saying you can defend it to actually going out and doing it. So you got those different uh, contrasting things come out of the last game. I think that, I'm just trying to think of how I, ra- I rate it. I, I, I want to say that it shouldn't be too much of an issue for Parramatta. Um, and you know, and jokingly, in the, in the sense you're talking about with the the results being reflected in the form of the two teams across the last couple of years, perhaps that means that we're due to split the um the two games against South City, which means we take the more important um header of the two. But yeah, I think the 38 0 match is something that the Eels would consider but not dwell on. And I think South City also need to be careful about dwelling on it themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, the other factor too was that the last time that they played. It was a, it, it was also a home game at Bankwest Stadium, but the crowd wasn't really a factor. The atmosphere wasn't really a factor. It was six and a half thousand, I think, that was there on that night, and the voice was taken out of the Eels fans very early mm. on by by Souths. This, with a fifty percent stadium capacity, is a slightly different kettle of fish. Do we know? I'm the, pretty sure that we're going to get a good roll-up of Eels fans. I was going to say, do we know the allocation split? I don't know that there was... Uh, I don't know about the allocation split in terms of um, how it was how it was taken up. I, 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 Yeah, I don't know. I think it was done perhaps a little bit differently. I think it might have been done with just basically your first, first, first come, first, first served. Time. I don't know if there was a, an allocation as such. I haven't heard too much about Eels fans that tried to get seats when it first went on sale that have been unsuccessful in getting them. It might be the case over the coming days. Uh, But I'm pretty sure you're going to have plenty of Eels fans there in full voice. There obviously will be Rabideaus fans because they're a Sydney team and they're they're obviously a very popular Sydney team. So I think we're going to get a good atmosphere at the game. And as we all know, when you have a good atmosphere at a game, you get both teams tend to lift. Yeah, get the energy so, rolling from the stands yeah. into the field and vice versa. Sort of create. There'll a- be no mistaking. There'll be no mistaking that even though we, they can't have full capacity stadiums, I don't think there'll be any, any mistaking that this is a finals clash, yeah. treated with the importance for, uh, that it deserves from both teams. So I'm I'm really I'm really pumped about it, and just for our um, our little uh, followers that we, our followers that we have on the site, I've, I'm going to be very close to my usual seat on Saturday night, so I'm really 
looking forward to it. It'll feel it'll almost feel like a home game for where <laughs> I'm sitting. So, um, I, yeah, I'm I'm really pumped about it, mate. So we've we've captured and discussed the surrounding elements heading into this game, the the recent history, the fixture from round sixteen, the impact that the crowd's going to have. Let's jump onto the field now and look at the key matchups. South Sydney obviously got a lot of strike power attacking wise. Um, defensively, they're probably there to be exploited somewhat. Um, where do you see South Sydney's key players being and where do you see Parramatta's key players being? And are they going to face each other or are they going to be in different parts of the field? Well, the spine are going to be facing each other and that's that's going to be critical. I thought Reed Marnie did a very good job uh, comparatively with Cameron Smith last, year, uh, last week. Obviously, there was Reed did feature in a, a couple of big moments that were that were both advantageous and disadvantageous for the Eels last week. But overall, I thought he had a very strong game. I his his capacity to attack out of dummy half has been building over the last few rounds of the Premiership and mm-hmm. then into the finals week one. So he's a key player. His kicking game has to be better. That's where uh, we had we had a one very clever kick for a try, but we also had two kicks that released momentum. One was off the back of a poor Moses kick, I think, and he put up a a kick that was caught in the end goal. There was a seven tackle set, and then there was a kick out of dummy half, which w- became a nothing kick and that had the. Melbourne Storm literally back on the attack almost to where he kicked the ball from. So the, his kicking game needs to be a bit better. It's not that he doesn't work on it, however. It's yeah, just that, ex, that execution. So um, Reed Marnie, obviously the two the two sets of halves. And and I think it um, the uh, South Sydney fullback has been a real surprise packet in what he's been able to produced in the last few weeks. So his matchup with Clint Gutherson is also going to be critical for how the two of them, they might may not come face-to-face too much unless either of them is uh, involved in a break downfield. But the, what they contribute to the teams, relative teams, is going to be critical. Can I just say, um, <clears throat> when it comes to the key players, we talked a bit with Bernie about the two packs of forwards. And this is where I think we we can look at key players individually and we can look at the key players as a group. South have that big rumbling forward pack that seem to get that job done so well as a unit. When Parramatta has been at their best form, that's when we were functioning better as a unit. And as an example... You get the big hit ups from RCG and Junior through the middle, and on the back of that, you'd have Nathan Brown with his fast leg speed cutting back through, back in behind the ruck. That that run that he likes to do, where he takes the ball a bit wider and then charges back in through the ruck. When we're not laying a better platform off the other middle forwards, that run of his is less effective. It's almost like a wasted attack. Yes, agreed. When we are laying the platform and putting the defence on the back foot, that's where that run creates chaos because not only does he dig in and push that line, retreating line, even further backwards, more often than not, he gets a quick play the ball off the back of it. And then 
we tend to uh, play a shift off the back of that because we've truly drawn the defence both in and back, and that's that's when the that shift is a bit more pos is 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 more likely to reap dividends for us. So, in terms of playing as a unit, it's it's like a one-two-three punch that those three Eels middle players deliver. And I'm looking to see some of that on the weekend and continuing to punch and punch and punch and drive the South's middle backwards before we look to exploring the edges. Yeah, in light of that, I can see, and I think that Brad Arthur has telegraphed it to an extent, or maybe maybe he's you know, foxing me here, but I think that we're going to see big minutes out of Reagan Campbell Gard and Junior Polo. Um, with only one sort of one heavy guy, because I know Davey is big boy, but he's sort of an edge specialist. But with one big bopper on the bench and Kane Evans, um, and opting to take Ray Stone into the team, presumably over Oregon Kafusi, it looks like that um, he's going to leverage Reg and Junior for for big minutes for a longer stint, which I'm perfectly fine with because, as Bernie talked about and as we've spoken about at length throughout the course of the season, there is a noticeable drop off when those two are off the field. Yeah, absolutely, and. That has been, it's probably been more marked in the second half of the season. And then it even started to translate where the even our two starting props weren't making quite the same impact during the period that can be described as our flat spot because like, they were being expected to carry longer minutes because the impact wasn't coming off the bench as it was earlier in the season. So really the that importance of our bench and carrying on what the what our starting props can deliver is cru- is critical. And given that we don't have Murata there as we talked about, yet yeah, it's looking at longer minutes for those those starters. And I mean, we're gonna be rehashing a lot of what Bernie said because he's obviously very good at understanding football and breaking it down, but I think um, he also mentioned that he wants Sean Lane and Ryan Madison to really attack the edges hard and hit the gaps. And I think that's going to be crucial for the Parramatta Eels to really test that South Sydney defence. Yeah. Madison's been very consistent in mm. what he's delivered this season. Lane probably less so, which has led to BA tinkering with his role through the middle and and even a thought that's there that maybe Lane might might start from the bench and come on as a middle forward or perhaps he might switch to the middle when Andrew Davey comes on but I think in this game he has a very critical role on the edge and he played a he played well he was one of the stronger performers against the Melbourne Storm and if we're getting Sean Lane close to his best in a finals match I don't think I think we make it that much harder for the opposition having Sean Lane at or near his best Mm-hmm. Now, just with regard to those key players, how how do you see South playing this game, mate? Yeah, I think they're gonna. I don't. Know, I don't know if it'll be a reckless abandon, but they're gonna look to attack Parramatta aggressively. Um, they're gonna, you know, sort of circle back to that round sixteen game, and and also trying to harness that recent energy of the strong wins over the Sydney Roosters and the Newcastle Knights, and you know, really establish the tone by being expansive and with possession. So I think it's up to Parramatta to absorb that early pressure. Um, and I think it's also up to Parramatta, like we met, we talked with Bernie, to, and, and in, insofar as also reviewing for the Melbourne Storm game for us, 
to not throw away possession and, and let those possession splits start to blow out because the moment they do is when you're really starting to play for significant handicap. So if Parramatta can control the ruck, and not even dominate, just control. Obviously, the, the goal is to get out there and, and get a sentence in the middle. But if they can get an equal share of the ruck and not cough up the ball needlessly with bad kicking and you know silly errors, I think that's that's the key to them taking the impetus out of South's hands. Because we know they're going to come out here aggressive and they're going to throw some, not trick plays, but they're going to look to link up Cody Walker on both sides of the park and sort of get Jackson Paulo and Alex Johnson in, into a bit of space. So yeah, just watch out how South get out of the blocks and absorb that and then counterpunch. Yeah, I just wanted to throw a question to you on the back of a, an observation that I've made. I don't know whether I'm on the mark with this observation or not, but it occurred to me that South perhaps play a more traditional brand of football than a lot of other teams. By that I mean you get a few runarounds with them. Yes, they, they you get you, you get the the halves playing both sides of mm-hmm. the ruck and linking some of the some of those plays that you see them score off with the wraparounds is rugby league one hundred and one or a, a future retro a, stuff, a, isn't it? They're tapping back yeah. into the past to make it the the new hotness. And yeah, yeah, and when you throw in a half with a really good well, a superb kicking game in Reynolds so that you have, a, let's call it a traditionally big forward pack, the halves that link with each other and, and play off the back of that, a wraparounds, runarounds sort of uh, play. Speed on the flanks. Speed on the speed on the flanks, the, the half that's got that really good kicking game and is prepared to find space, get that ball on the ground. Uh, as often as they can. To me, it's a very traditional game. And, uh, yeah, as, as as you said, it's um, it's very effective, I believe. It, it, do you see them very similar to that? Yeah, I, I think you've sort of captured the essence of their team in, in a really cool way. They are like a classic football team, but uh, ret- like retrofitted to be uh, up to the times. Yeah. So they... There, there is deception, but I think the deception they do is is using very old school concepts. So um, I, I do wonder defensively how you game plan against that because uh, it, it is fascinating. Like you said, they're they're an, an old school team, but brought to the to current the current times. So they've adapted well, to the the you know, nuances of the modern game using old school concepts. Yeah, and where where this came about in my thinking was I was looking at. And considering how Cook plays, and to me, under Bennett, he's been, he he's uses his, he, he makes fewer runs, it seems to me, than what he used to, fewer darts out of dummy half. But then when he does dart, it's, it's more effective mm. because it, it fits in with that style of play that, they can't that they are producing so he's not overplaying his hand and you can't shut down their play or their attacking play by shutting down uh cook as i'd say before wayne bennett was coaching south because 
he was such a threat out of dummy half, and I'm not downplaying that he's still going to be a threat from dummy half. But they revolved but around his ability, yeah, revolved around yeah. his ability to carve up through the ruck, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. There's a greater balance to their attacking output at the moment. Yeah, at a, at a time where you might have expected to see more running out of dummy half from Cook, you see uh, more selective running from him. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's, he's most definitely a threat, but I think what they become is a better all-round team. And whereas I had extreme doubts about them at the start of the season, it's the opposite now. I think they are a very effective football team, and I'll underline the word team rather than individuals. And yes. I think if you are to look at the at the effect of Wayne Bennett on their team, it's that he has created a team. Yeah, so I mean, he, I think he's been very effective there. That's full credit to Wayne as well, and I think uh, is it Demetrio, who's assistant, which is the head coach in waiting, who's um, yes, who's obviously cobbled together a, a pretty reasonable attacking outfit. Um, now let yeah. me let me flip that around to you. So we've looked at how South Sydney could attack the Eels and who are their key players. When you when you sort of look at the matchup from the reverse and put on your blue and gold blue and gold blue and gold goggles, goodness. Uh, where the Parramatta Eels win this on on a micro individual level and on a macro team level? Last week I said Mitch Moses on a micro level was a critical player, and to me he remains that critical player because he does the majority of the kicking. We need his kicking game to be as close to the, its best. And that's, uh, we did see evidence of that on the weekend with a, with some of the early kicks. And I'm not quite sure. Uh, there's There's been some criticism of his longer kicking game in terms of not finding the turf. And I suppose it's what is what are they trying to achieve with his long kicks? Uh, they're finding the fullbacks or the wingers, but they do have a lot of hang time for the chasing players to get through. So... My guess would be that he is following instructions with those kicks. Does he need a bit more variety? I'd, I'd probably suggest that he does, but I, I'm, I'd be more critical of his short kicking game than his long kicking game mm-hmm. where he was just a couple of metres out where his kicks were, were going into a, a part of the, of the red zone that just really didn't put any pressure on defenders. So we need those kicks landing right on the line, virtually like the first kick that led to the opening try for the Eels. Yes, for Nathan Brown. Yes. So as soon as you you put that up into that, uh, (laughs) some of the uh, cricketers use a good term, what is the corridor of uncertainty and all all those sorts of cricketing terms. I'm sure you could apply some bowling cricketing terms to where the kick has to land. Uh, an attacking kick has to land. So, yeah, getting back to that, uh, Mitch Moses remains a critical player. I've spoken about the role of our middle forwards. They will basically be laying the platform that Mitch has to work off. But if they lay that platform, which I expect that they will, I I don't have any doubts that we're going to land that one, two, three punch that I spoke about earlier. It's critical that Moses feeds off the back of that. And and then the other side of the field as well, Dylan Brown. He looked a little bit underdone last week. 
it, it probably he had a solid return, but it was there was just a couple of moments where you thought there's a, a flinch of uncertainty mm-hmm. with him. But there wasn't. He almost has. I, I wouldn't say he's got an arrogance in in his play. It's just a real confidence. There's, about there's an him athletic athletic arrogance, which yes. is a term I've used before, where. The guy is just such a special athlete that you know he backs himself to make some plays. That that's it. Yeah, yeah. that's but, what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get to. It's he. He's always been a player that backs himself, and I wasn't sure that he entirely backed himself mm-hmm. in every in every moment. He he just played a support role, a solid support role last week, and I'd like to see him play a little bit more than that role this week. So. Uh, yeah, we're and we're going to get from Clint Gutherson what we always get from Clint Gutherson. So I keep, I just have to keep coming back to Mitch Moses and then off him, uh, Dylan Brown. So yeah. what about you, mate? Yeah, I think obviously the spine play is going to be crucial in this matchup. And you know, like you said, Clint Gutherson's going to do Clint Gutherson things. He's going to be then in a position to back up any sort of line break or broken play aspect of the game and have his influence exerted there. I, I can't help but think, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a cheat, but the entire starting forward pack, um, given the bench that we're fielding, you know, you got Will Smith who's a bit of a utility uh, sub, you got Andrew Davy who's going to make a splash, um, Kane who's been a bit unreliable, and, and Ray Stone who I love and is a defensive standout, but not exactly a, a dynamo on attack. I, I look at that eight to thirteen and, and say I need everything you've got, every drop, every you know, every percentile of a percentile. Um, they're going to have to come out and, and establish the tone and maximise their opportunities because um, given that we're going to be disrupted in the back line and, and field a vastly different looking back line to what we would be at peak uh, peak fitness and, and, and health, I, I think that Madison and Lane have to be the difference makers when it comes to scoring. I think Junior Paul and Raiden Campagoid are going to have to be leveraged for huge minutes. And I think that you know that goes for Nathan Brown too. He's going to have to step up in the absence of Maradon. I say step up. Brown has been fantastic, but he's going to have to take an even greater load with the absence of Murata near Corey due to that suspension. Can we can we take anything out of how the Bulldogs played South Sydney a few weeks ago? They got on that front foot against South, mm-hmm. and South played completely without confidence. Yeah, the, the now, Dogs did a very good job of disrupting the game plan. And preventing yeah. South Sydney from and getting expansive and, and downhill and you know starting to dictate terms with the their attack. And they stayed in there with the fight and the niggle throughout that game. Yeah. You'd have to say that the Knights, although they jumped out to that lead, couldn't stay the distance and yes. had far too many errors and missed tackles in them. So getting out to a a start which potentially puts them off their game, whether that, uh, and I'd like to think that comes through uh, aggressive play, maybe even fast aggressive play because they have got a big, such a big pack and making sure that that, if there's ever a game where you want the Eels to be playing for the full 80 minutes, this is, this is now that game. I've said it before for me, this is a line in the sand moment for the Parramatta Reels. Win or lose, it's a line in the sand moment. I, I think they have to make a statement about the growth of their team in, ter- 
as it relates to how they approach the game, the attitude that they take into the game. If if they have this the sort of performance that they've had in the last couple of games in the in the finals in the in 2017 and 2019 the second week games mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about a loss I'm talking about the way they yes. played I can I can live with a loss to a top team because the when you're into finals football there's going to be there's going to be hard luck stories or there's going to be games where you go look the opposition was just too good so you're going to get those the last two finals games, you came out of it and you went. They well, did, look, the Eels did themselves a disservice against the, the Cowboys oh, in 2017 and Melbourne Storm absolutely. in 2019. Yeah, yeah uh, there, there is no, there is no avoiding that. And at the end of last season, I said that the next step for Parramatta was a mental one. Mm-hmm. They they had to show that they had greater resilience. They had a better capacity to rebound under adversity. And we've seen evidence of that during games this year where they haven't played at their best, but they've found a way to win. And that, yes, that's evidence of resilience. But this week, in a finals game, in a sudden death match, where they are not fielding their uh, normally selected top 17 or the top, even their starting 13, so you've got them coming into the game facing some hurdles how they play the game, the intensity that they bring to it, their capacity to follow the game plan and to stay in the contest is going to say a lot about where the team is at. Yeah. And that's really what I'm looking for this week is that if they put themselves in the game as far as their attitude and commitment is concerned, I believe that's going to carry them a long way because if there's a a question mark that I have over South Sydney this year, it's that their form was right in terms of their uh, inconsistency. It left question marks at different points of the year. And I don't think you can ignore the, their capacity to to turn in a performance that was below their best. And I think it's up to Parramatta to drive a performance from the South Sydney Rabbitohs that is below their best. Yep. And that, that sort of um, leads us in perfectly to the predictions for this weekend. And now we, we're sort of cheating a little bit because I got 60s to jump in as a guest uh, on the Para podcast last night, which is the uh, unofficial, uh, official, officially unofficial podcast of the Parramatta Reels. And it's um, a few of our, a few mates just kicking the shit every week about the Parramatta Reels, which is always good fun. Um, and we got sixties myself to do the the preview there on in terms of first try scorer and overall score. Um, you going to roll for similar prediction from there, mate, or you, you got a bit more clarity after a night to sleep on it, <laughs> mate? First, first of all, that that was a bit of fun last night because I was ringing you up for something, <laughs> to, not realizing you were recording, well, and then next thing you said, mate, you're live yeah. on the on the podcast. <laughs> you, you called me to actually organize help do some um, uh, leading work for today's podcast on the tip sheet. And it's like, oh, by the way, mate, you're live. And and we hadn't even really discussed remuneration no, for no. my appearance there. You Ham, know, Ham, Ham's got you fixed up, mate. He's got the vouchers coming. <laughs> oh, good, good, mate. I, I, the old $5 off the charcoal exactly. chicken, it's, yeah, 
that's that's the way to that's the way to get me to appear on anything. <laughs> so last night I gave a predicted score of thirty two fourteen from uh, recollection, and I went for the the first try scorer to be someone in the spine, and I from recollection I might have said Mitch Moses as well. So. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with that point score of 30 to 14. I think we can get some ascendancy there. I actually believe that if Brad Takarangi plays out in the centres, that we'll have a calmer head that's there. Now, it doesn't mean the Tackers can't make the odd error. He tends to... He tends to throw out the unusual with ball in hand <laughs> rather than defensively. I think yeah. he's quite a, a decent defensive centre. So if he's called into the centres, I'm actually quite I'm I'm quite good with that. To have the centres as as Tackers and, and Michael Jennings, I'm fine with that. I've mm-hmm. been calling all along for Wanga Blake to be moved out to the wings. So if, if Fergo's if Fergo is ruled out, there's that opportunity there. Uh, George Jennings, he's had some decent form with the Warriors. I don't want to see him play alongside his brother because I have uh, nightmares about when that last happened and it was against South Sydney when uh, they had I think it was Robert Jennings scored it. A bunch oh, of tries yeah, in 2018. That was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So that had a lot to do with that. Probably had a lot to do with the lack of confidence in that season. And if we're honest, that was a horror year for Michael Jennings individually. <laughs> it was a very so outlier year in a negative sense for Jenko, who's been so yeah. good for Parramatta for so long now. Yeah, he's you. You can't compare the Silver Fox of 2020 to <laughs> the the shadow that was running around uh, the shadow of Michael. Jennings that was running around in 2018, for for Brad to have to play him in reserve grade that year, a player of his talent and experience, it says a lot about where he was at in in his form and his career yeah. in 2018. But it, it also was reflective of the team in that year. So yeah, I'm I'm fairly happy about how the team will line up with the expected changes. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's um, it's going to be critical that we get that good start. And I think, as I said, I think if we can put South off their game, get some good points, that more points will roll. And I'm actually predicting a 13-plus scoreline to the Parramatta Reels. And I'm, and I'm saying that, uh, obviously, I've got, Blue and gold uh, <laughs> eyes that are that are there, but um, I'm actually saying that with a level of confidence. Strangely enough, yeah. Well, I last night I ended up tipping very similar to you with the logic that uh, the finals so far have been record setting in terms of points scored. So I'd, I'd expect that trend to continue into this week with the Eels notching a, a 32 18 victory. Is what I believe I said last night. Now. I'm sure if there's listeners to both podcasts, they can pull me in line if I'm incorrect. And I tipped to Quint Gufferson first try, um, thinking that the Kings is going to be sniffing around. And um, whether the Eels put something on or not, he's going to be lurking and um, and they're waiting in the wings to take, to clean up a line break. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know. Like like you said, there's 
I don't want to say the pressure's off the Eels, uh, but they played their heart out on Saturday night and they acquitted themselves for not, for not only might be too strong a word, but very well against the Melbourne Storm. And yes, there's some injuries that have caused a significant reshuffle on the back line, but as you intimated just then, perhaps that's left them with a better balance between the centre and the wingers, even if it's not their top-line talent that has been fielded in the two to five slots. So yeah, I, I enter this game with, I wouldn't even say it's cautious optimism, I, I'm just, I'm looking forward to it. Like it, It's just yeah. like, a, it's like a fresh vibe. It's like, it, it's not because there's, there's no burden of expectation or anything like that. We Even though the book has been stored to the outsiders, we're the team that's coming in in the highest seating on the ladder. But yeah, it just it just feels like this is a game that we should absolutely approach with just energy and enthusiasm and just, you know, tear into it. Yeah, a real real optimism and, and positivity and, and I, I suppose that's a good way to, to wrap it up. Yeah. Taking it back to what I said when we opened this podcast, how good is it, how exciting is it to be playing finals football in the second week of the finals? And if you had said to me at the start of the year, you have to beat, if you beat in consecutive weeks, South and the Panthers, you'll be in the grand final. Yeah, and you, I'm looking at it that way. You we take have that to deal, right? South. Yep. yep. You have to. You've got to win two games, South and Panthers, to get into the grand final. And I'll throw this to you as well. Have we lost two consecutive matches all year? No. For our inconsistencies in the back end of a season, the the team has had the the mental strength and the ability to rally to not lose back to back games. So obviously they're gonna they can't afford to lose a game from here on out if they win even if they win this week. Yes, but yeah, yep. uh, I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to this, and I, and like you said, that little record is significant because it shows that the team have got the mental strength to do this. Yep. Okay, mate. Well, it's been another great episode of the tip sheet. Well, that's in my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so we'll definitely have at least one more review episode following the results of Saturday night. Obviously, we're hoping for a win so we can get into a preview for the Penrith game. But um, assuming that we do lose. That won't be the end of the tip sheet content because I think Sixties and I can wrangle up some stuff across the off season, looking at um, you know player reviews, some big games in in you know retrospect and and what the twenty twenty one season has to hold. So uh, yeah, this isn't the end of the tip sheet by any means for twenty twenty. Yep, and um, really looking forward to um, having another preview with Bernie Gurn next yeah, week. Yeah, with mate. the man himself, the burn factor. <laughs> Uh, thanks, mate. As always, stops for, uh, thanks for stopping by, guys. Uh, thanks for the listen. Um, you can always drop a like and a subscription on SoundCloud and feel free to join the conversation on TCT. We'll catch you guys next week. See you, mate.